Welcome to Slam Presents Hoop Ties. I'm your host, Ahmad K. Smith. We have Gerald Bouguet, PHX Sons writer, here live with us today. How are you doing, Gerald? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. How's the weather out there? It's a little rainy, honestly, for Phoenix, which is kind of surprising, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be back into the 80s and 90s in no time here. Definitely. definitely. It's like six degrees out here, so it's not <laughs> you know, too bad, but let's get into it. Um, tell me, Gerald, what was your favorite team growing up? Yeah, so I mean, honestly, as a kid, it was probably the Bulls, just because every kid that was raised in the 90s was a Bulls fan in some way or form. Um, but as I grew older as a teen, the Steve Nash Suns were kind of a team that I really gravitated towards. They were so much fun to watch. And, um, you know, years later, now I'm an objective journalist covering the team, but it, it's really cool that uh, kind of one of my childhood teams is the one that I get to cover on a daily basis now. That's crazy. You said the Chicago Bulls. I'm from St. Louis, and I grew up in the Midwest. I absolutely hated the Chicago Bulls. Really? Okay. Yeah. So how would you how would you say that you got your your love and the passion for the game? Like, what kind of got you into the sport of basketball? Yeah. So honestly, from the age of like two, when I was old enough to dunk on a little Fisher Price hoop that my parents got for me, I, I just loved to play and. They would also, you know, apparently one of the only things that would get me to be quiet as a kid would be to put basketball on and mm -hmm. uh, I would just sit there and and watch it. And um, I remember I had little VHS tapes of like the N1 mixtape stuff from like Jordan and Grant Hill, Penny Hardaway, all these guys yeah. and watching all those highlights growing up, all the uniforms back then, the 90s had the best uniforms. Like mm -hmm. it was just something that I always gravitated towards, whether I was playing or watching. So um, it's been in, instilled in me since I was a young kid, and it's always been one of my biggest interests for sure. Who would you say is your favorite and one player? That streetball era back in the day was very like tough. Yeah, it was. That's a tough one. Uh, I on, I honestly can't pick. Who, who's yours? I like hot sauce. I mean, just because okay. like <laughs> he kind of it was like watching watching hot sauce was like watching like Allen Iverson without like it being the NBA. So it was kind of cool seeing him growing up, but. Basically, let's get into it. Let's talk to the Phoenix Suns. Um, we've seen Kevin Durant. We've seen Devin Booker play. Got a, a small glimpse of what they can possibly be. So I want to ask you, like, when healthy, what do you think this Phoenix Suns team can be with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant as a duo? Yeah, I, I think when they're healthy, it's going to be a tough ask, but I do think that they're a legitimate title contender, and I do think they should be the favorite in the Western Conference. Um, you know, obviously three games is tough to grade everybody by, but when they were out there, Durant made everybody else's life so much easier. And Book is averaging a career high 28 points per game this season without Kevin Durant. If you put him in there and defenses have to focus on him and put their second best defender on Book, he's going to be even more dangerous. And I, and I think we've seen that over the last few weeks. He's averaging like 35 points or something crazy with KD in the lineup. So I do think it eases the pressure on the bench to produce. Um, it just knocks everyone down a peg when you have a guy like that that can produce on both ends, that can hit threes, that can get his own bucket at any time. Um, and it's kind of the thing that the Suns have been looking for to help ease the load on Devin Booker. I, I do think, you know, obviously chemistry could be a thing that comes up. A lot of these teams have had their full lineups for most of the year and the Suns have not. So they'll have a limited number of games to kind of get that chemistry down and get their defensive rotations on the same page and whatnot. But I do think from a sheer talent perspective, when you got Chris Paul, Devin Booker, KD, and DeAndre Ayton in your starting five, you're going to have a leg up on most opponents most nights. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you when you said Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant is probably one of the most portable players, if not the most portable player of all time. You stick him into any offense, mm-hmm. any system with any players he's going to thrive in. But you mentioned Devin Booker. I want to talk about Devin Booker a little bit. Do you think Devin Booker doesn't get the respect he deserves? This is, to me, a, a guy that's a, arguably the best shooting guard in the league, but constantly we're hearing, like, he wasn't an all-star this year. And then he may not even be on the all-NBA team to some people. So how do you feel about, like, what does Devin Booker need to do to get the respect that he deserves around this league? Yeah, I, I think he there is an underrated element to him, and I do think until he wins a title, he probably won't get that respect. And even then, it's probably with this current iteration, it's going to be looked at as, you know, oh, Kevin Durant led him to a title. But, you know, we saw him as the best player lead the Suns to the finals two years ago. We saw him as the best player and a top five MVP candidate lead the Suns to 64 wins last year. So it is kind of strange that he doesn't get that same kind of superstar respect um, as a guy like Jason Tatum, who recently just led his team to the finals um, and is viewed as kind of this established superstar. But I I do think with Kevin Durant's kind of drawing defense's focus, he's going to get a chance to shine for sure. Um, Cause what he does against opponents, best defenders is already unfair. Um, He's just got an aesthetically beautiful game. It's kind of old fashioned with the the mid range touch and and the pure artistry of it. But um, he's, he's a dude that for whatever reason, some people just really don't like, and some people really rock with. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how these playoffs kind of change his image. But I do think winning a title would help silence some of those critics for sure. Yeah. And like you said, those three games that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker played together, I thought it was beautiful. Like you mm-hmm. said, Devin Booker has an old-fashioned game, like get into his spots, get into the second level on the basketball court. And then you pair that with Kevin Durant, who is arguably the most unguardable one-on-one player, unstoppable guard, un- unstoppable one-on-one player in this league has ever seen probably. And then with Devin Booker, it's just like, who do you draw two double defenders to? So it's, it's very, very going to be challenging. Who would you say is an X factor for the Phoenix Suns? Like what player needs to kind of help them be the key. We know Devin Booker's going to be there. We know Kevin Durant's going to be there. Who do you feel like is the other guy that has to step up to try to help this team reach their championship aspirations? It's a good question. And normally I would say DeAndre Ayton because when he locks in and does the little things, he elevates this team on both ends. But I feel like, you know, one of the core four, that's a little too obvious. So I'm going to go with Josh Akogi, who is probably going to be their fifth starter. He was the fifth starter when KD was healthy. He's been starting ever since then. Um, And he's a guy that, you know, he's a career like 29% three-point shooter, not a guy that has historically spaced the floor. But since the calendar flipped to 2023, in the first two months, he was shooting something like 44, 45% on a good number of attempts. And over the last few weeks, it's kind of dropped off a little bit. So it's one of those things that when you have the that core four out there that's going to draw most of the defensive attention, those other guys are going to be the ones that get wide open corner threes and kind of have to knock them down to make defenses pay. You know, he's a he's a great defender and he's kind of taking on a lot of the defense that Mikhail Bridges brought to the table in that starting lineup. But if he can't knock down threes, like I don't know how playable he'll be come playoff time. Like we, we saw it in the Dallas game. He went 0 for 8 from 3 and Ish Wainwright came in and replaced him and, and hit down, knocked down some looks and they won that game. So it's a thing where when a Kogi's on, he can really be a thorn in your side. 
And when he's not, he might get like the Tony Allen treatment come playoff time. And, and that mm-hmm. could be a problem. Definitely. And it's, it's interesting that you said, Josh, because I thought you were going to say DeAndre Aiden. The only reason why, I know you said you want to say the core four, but the mm-hmm. only reason why, especially since last year's playoff performance when we saw with DeAndre Aiden. So it's just like, I feel like when DeAndre's Aiden's on, you know, double-double machine, the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. going to be really, really hard to beat. But you mentioned Josh, you mentioned their lack of like shooting and stuff like that out of the, their big three and four. It's Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. I also feel like, do you think their lack of death come playoff time is going to hinder them? I think it is the obvious weakness when you look at this team um, and you look at how many guys are in and out of the rotation. Like in their last loss to the Thunder, Monty played 12 guys and TJ Warren didn't even see the floor. I think he's yeah. still been trying to figure out okay, who's going to give me what on a nightly basis? Because he's got a lot of defensive heavy guys like a Kogi, um, like Ish Wainwright, who are a little bit streaky when it comes to knocking down the three ball. And then he's got like offensive gunners like Terrence Ross, who probably not the best defender. Um, yeah. So he's, he's got guys that kind of have one-sided skill sets and he's trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be able to bridge that gap um, Landry Shamit's a guy that kind of comes to mind, but he just returned from a two month absence. So they're definitely looking for some consistency there and, and trying to lock down what their playoff rotation is going to be. Um, and that's harder to figure out when you don't have Kevin Durant out there. Cause in the three games that he played, they used him to kind of bolster the second unit. They were staggering him a little bit and it worked just fine. Um, but I, I do think that is the biggest concern. I think when you have a Kevin Durant that you can play with some of these guys. And and we saw it in those three games. It minimizes a lot of the damage that those bench units can do. Um, And and I do think, you know, come playoff time, the starters are going to be playing like 35, 40, 40 plus minutes. Like (laughs) you only need to survive like eight to 12 minutes with the bench guys, honestly. And and if you have Kevin Durant or one of the other core four to stagger with them, that makes up for a lot of it. Only issue, only concern with that is like health-wise, like Kevin Durant played three games. He got hurt. You know, Chris Paul has been dealing with injuries. We also know that, you know, Devin Booker's been in and out of the lineup as well. So death is definitely going to be very important. And before Kevin Durant came on, Chris Paul was traded to the Phoenix Suns. And we know that basically with Chris Paul, the Phoenix Suns the past year, two years have been, what, a championship contender. Mm-hmm. Maybe haven't reached those expectations, but like we know his impact – that he's had on that franchise. So I want you to I want you to kind of tell me what do you think a ring would mean for Chris Paul's legacy with the Phoenix Suns? It would mean everything and it's kind of rough because, you know, rings culture now has changed that conversation mm-hmm. so much and it, and it can be exhausting because some of these guys like, you know, even Russell Westbrook, James Harden, guys that are still playing at a high level right now, like you look at their careers, their body of work and and that should be enough to cement them as all-time greats and they are but everybody always focuses on that one thing that they don't have and for chris paul like if he doesn't get over that threshold he'll go down without a doubt as one of the greatest players to never win a ring um and a few years ago it was he's never reached the conference finals and then it was he's never reached the finals well now he's done those things this is the last kind of mountaintop for him to climb and if he does like I would say just from a pure skill standpoint, people would say he's a top three, top four point guard of all time as it is. Now, if you give him a finals trophy on top of that, like he's, he's cemented as one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. Um, It's been, 
even at this stage of his career, it's been a pleasure like watching him work and seeing how his mind works, seeing that competitive streak. But it would be incredible for him and for his legacy if he could finally get over that hump. Definitely, definitely. I I agree 100% with what you're saying because if you look at Chris Paul, and that's the only thing he's kind of missing is that mm-hmm. ring. You can make a legitimate argument that Chris Paul is the most all-around point guard this league has ever seen. When we talk mm-hmm. about operating at the first level slash ability, getting to his spots, can shoot the three ball, passing, facilitating. His pace is the way he controls the game mm-hmm. on the offensive side. It's very impressive. Then we talk about defense. It's not too many point guards – other than I can think of like John Stockton, where we talk about really locking in and honing in on that craft. It's just like who you're taking over Chris Paul for his defense ability. So definitely, definitely. All right. So now we're going to introduce our truth teller segment. So I'm going to read some tweets to Gerald. He's going to tell me if these guys are truth tellers or they're not truth tellers and why they're not truth tellers or why they are truth tellers. So the, so the first tweet I have is, it says by 22 Hay. That's a weird username. <laughs> Kevin Durant is out of this world, but with no depth, the Suns aren't going to last very long in the playoffs. Not a truth teller. I, I do think, like I said, like when you get to the playoffs, these guys are playing 40 plus minutes a night. You just need to survive those minutes. And if they're able to stagger one of those four the whole time, I do think this team has enough role playing, defense, and shooting for it'll be tough for Monty to figure out who, but. They do have enough depth, I think, to make a real run. Do you think with the parity in the league, especially in the Western Conference, that – because I, I, I think this guy's not a true teller as well. But I, I will say, though, with the parity in the league and the way the Western Conference is shaping, shaping up, mm-hmm. it's a possibility that we don't really know who's going to come out the West. Like, I know people can talk about the a healthy Los Angeles Clippers team. I know people can talk about the Golden State Warriors, but they can't run on the road. So it's just kind of like – a lot of these teams can possibly lose in the first round. I don't think the Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker if they get back on the floor together, but it's like definitely like a a, a maybe. So I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you, but it's kind of like I'm a little a little torn. Um, next tweet is from Max MC11. It says the Suns need to move DeAndre Aiden this offseason if they can't get anything remotely useful for him in the playoffs. Can't waste KD and Booker. What are your thoughts on that? Is this guy a truth teller or not? Yeah, so I actually know Max. I've been on his podcast. Um, but I, I'm going to say he is a truth teller. Like if this Ooh. if this playoff run goes belly up and it's because DA is not locked in defensively or because he's having a hard time fitting in, I do think he's the trade chip that makes the most sense because you could try and trade Chris Paul for an upgrade at point guard, but his value at this point, not going to get you much of a return. DA is your most valuable trade ship. You're not trading Book and KD, obviously. And I do think the Suns have kind of believed this whole time that if they just have a starting caliber center who plays defense, hits the boards, sets good screens, rolls hard, like they can get 70 to 80% of what DA provides and still be okay. They can allocate that money elsewhere because people forget DA is on a max contract. Like, That's a lot of money to a guy that doesn't create his own looks um, and who his focus during the regular season kind of wanes. I think during the playoffs, we've seen him lock in, and I think that's what the Suns are counting on him doing again. But if he doesn't and he's kind of the the guy that's not fitting in, I do think the Suns would rather trade his max contract for another shot creator, for more bench depth, for more wing depth, um, and just use what's left over to get 
just an average center. Like the Warriors won last year with Kevon Looney as their starting center. You don't need an elite mm-hmm. big man to win in this league. Yeah, I will say only a little pushback for that is the Warriors are, you know, their offensive system's a little bit different. But mm-hmm. for us, like DeAndre Aiden, like you say, he's on a max contract. And even before the season started, the Phoenix Suns kind of waited. They waited to see who's going to offer him <laughs> a contract. And then it was like, oh, yeah. I guess we kind of got to take him. So I think this this playoffs is going to be very big for DeAndre. I totally agree with you. If they have to move a player, it has to be DeAndre Aiden. But the only question is kind of like you was, you were saying, it was like, what type of value are you going to get for him? Like he's... Mm-hmm. A, what twenty and ten guy sometimes, and then some guy sometimes he's a what <laughs> twelve, <laughs> twelve and yeah. ten. So, but how much is I want to I want to ask you how much is that because of the Suns' offense and them not really like allowing him to be a focal point in the offense at times, or how much is that just DeAndre Aiden's inconsistent ability for us like game to game situations? I think part of it is a byproduct of the offense. Obviously, they have him setting a lot of screens, um, and they are a very perimeter oriented team. When you got ball handlers and pick and roll artists like Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that's, that makes sense. And then you add a, a a guy who can get his own bucket and ISO at any time in KD, like the offense is not going to revolve around him, but I will say the offense kind of does start with him because he's the guy setting all these screens. He's the guy whose gravity on these roles opens things up on the second side for three point shooters Um, And I do think like when he catches the ball in the short roll, he's not a guy that can put the ball down and make a move. His, his post repertoire is, is kind of limited, especially finishing around the basket. He's really good as a finisher with his hook shot, with his mid range shot, he's money, but he doesn't have the skill set to go and get his own bucket at times. And that's kind of what separates him and why I think you know, if you put him on another team that revolved around him, I'm sure he could put up 20 and 12 on a mm-hmm. nightly basis, but I don't know how efficient it'd be. There would be some growing pains as far as learning to create his own offense. And I'm not sure that that kind of team would be, you know, a, an elite or a good team, like a playoff caliber team. Do you feel like that's not his fault though, in a way, because of the, the way the game has changed? Because back in the day, traditional bigs, what DeAndre Aiden is, would be more valuable than he is right now. So you look at the modern bigs. We see Joel B. We see Anthony Davis. We see you know Giannis, Adam Cooper, uh, Nikola Jokic. So it's just kind of like maybe he's just in the wrong era because I think he is talented. I think he is mm-hmm. like a, a you know a, a talented big big man. But it's just like we're in an era where it's pace and space. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you don't have a big man that can create, like you said, create off the dribble, is he really needed? Because you can always fill in a guy that can be a rim runner. And that's kind of like you were just saying, what the Phoenix Suns may have to do, especially if they do not win a championship. Um, but I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind um, mm-hmm. or, you know, give me some analysis behind it. Okay. Sean, Sean Marion. Oh, man. Underrated. That's, mm-hmm. that's my word for him. I, I think he's, he's a guy that even back right when he retired, I was writing articles about why he had a case for the Hall of Fame and he just Oof. kind of was a star that got lost in that era um, mm. because his two-way play was incredible. It's insane that he never made an all-defensive team just because the Suns' defenses were subpar. But um, he was so much fun to watch, just an incredible dunker, like unbelievable athlete. You look at some of the averages he put up, and I think there was a season where he led the team in like 
points, rebounds, steals, blocks, like all at once. It was, he was, he was really good. And um, it, it was sad when the Suns kind of traded him away and he was gone. Um, Cause he, he's definitely a forgotten star and he should be in the Suns ring of honor, hopefully in the near future. Yeah. He's a guy that right now, probably in today's game, probably a max player. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. With, with his skill set, like yeah. shoot the three and guard one through four in the basketball, probably one through five on the basketball court. I mean, he was a special player. MVP for 2023. Uh, I would say. Damn, this is tough. You gotta I'm say with your chest. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hide. I know. I know. Don't I hide, hide it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Giannis. I think. Ooh. I, I would say Jokic, but I do think the voter fatigue is real. And I think the Bucks having the best record by a, a pretty significant stretch matters. Um, and I do think the defensive side of the floor matters as well. Like you really can't go wrong with Giannis, Jokic, or Embiid this year because they all have legitimately fantastic cases. But yeah. um, I'll give the slight edge to Giannis here. Why no Joel Embiid? Because it seems like, like you said, a lot of people yeah. are trending to Joel Embiid's um, direction this year, especially when we're talking about possibly a back-to-back season of averaging the, the most points in the NBA for a regular mm-hmm. season, and he he gets down to the defensive side as well. Yeah, I, I think for me the slight edge goes to Giannis because I would have him as a slightly better defender than Embiid, um, and then the team record you throw that on top of it. It's like I said, it's like a hair's edge for this type of stuff, and. Like mm-hmm. if Embiid wins, I won't be mad at all because mm-hmm. he he's absolutely deserving. And I feel like he's gotten lost in the conversation at times this year. Mm-hmm. Seven seconds or less offense. Revolutionary. That's that's mm. the word. I mean, that it was ahead of its time. And it's hilarious now because if you look at their pace back then, it'd be dead last in the league right now. <laughs> it gets, <laughs> it's insane. But they were the ones that put that in motion and. Uh, it's too bad that that era didn't get a championship to kind of celebrate it with. Um, but yeah, it, it was revolutionary for its time. It w- and it was so much fun to watch. I know that it brought in a lot of new basketball fans and mm-hmm. uh, not just to Phoenix, but the NBA as well. So it, w- it was revolutionary for sure. Last one I got. Peak for peak, who would you rather have? Okay. Steve Nash. Player you grew up. <laughs> idolizing mm-hmm. <laughs> watching yep. Yep. Uh, or current point guard for the Phoenix Suns Chris Paul man I'm <laughs> so this is <laughs> this this has always been a point of contention with Suns fans because they're a diehard Steve Nash loyalist mm-hmm. but if you watch Chris Paul's peak like it it was kind of it was kind of crazy that he never won an MVP award during his time in the league no. I got to go with Chris Paul at his peak. And he sustained his peak for so long. Like, not that, yeah. Nash, not that Nash didn't, but Chris Paul went to so many different teams and just catapulted them to a huge jump in the standings every time. Um, yeah. You know, people always want to fixate on the playoff shortcomings and the, the choke jobs or whatever you want to call it. But at his peak, like Chris Paul, very few players in NBA history have controlled the game the way that he has. Man, I, I totally agree. I'm I'm shocked you didn't say Steve Nash. Though. <laughs> yeah. You know, 50, 40, 90 player. I think it's Chris Paul as well. But, you know, growing up in Phoenix, like you said, and like covering Phoenix, I'm just really shocked you just said, didn't say mm. Steve Nash. I mean, Steve Nash is, 
he's almost starting to get a little underrated. And I've been hard on mm. Steve Nash because, you know, we always talk about those MVPs. Did he really deserve it? This and that. Right. But this guy is one of the best point guards this league has ever seen. And then, like mm -hmm. you said, historically, if you look back on it with the Phoenix Suns, that's seven seconds or less offense. Like, mm -hmm. this is what we see in the NBA right now. Um, yeah. But final question I have for you, Gerald. I need your top five favorite. I'm not going to say all time. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> favorite, favorite Phoenix Suns players. Okay. So the favorite thing obviously changes it a little bit because mm -hmm. it feels weird to not have Nash among your favorites. But I got, I got two men. Like Charles Barkley and Devin Booker are favorites just because they're yeah. so much fun to watch. Like Charles was a personality and a half. Um, and book is just like, he's otherworldly to cover, honestly. So those two, for sure, I got to throw my guy, Grant Hill in there because I grew up drinking Sprite because of his commercials. Like he was amazing back in the day. And then to see him on the suns, like right when I was coming up in college and starting to cover the team, that was really cool. Um, Mikhail Bridges is a goofball, man. He's like, he is He's got to be in there. I don't know if there's a more memeable Suns player in franchise history. Mm. And then the last one, I got to give a shout out to Goran Dragic because he Ooh. was, he was, you want to talk about guys that were lost in the weeds during mm. a really rough time in Suns history. Like that whole decade was brutal, but that 2013, 14 season when he made all NBA and won mm. most improved player and was getting like MVP chance, that was a really special season. And, uh, he was actually in college, the first player that I ever interviewed. Um, he sat down and gave me just some random college kid, like 25 minutes in-depth interview one-on-one -on -one, um, and was just super nice about it. So he's kind of one of the my first entry point into talking mm -hmm. with NBA players. Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget what he did to the Spurs in that one playoff series where he just came off the bench and lit him up. So. <laughs> lit him up. <laughs> yeah, got to go lit with the dragon. Up. Definitely. Uh, I know I said that was the final question, but I want to talk a little bit about Charles Barkley. I feel like we mm -hmm. can't end this, this show off without <laughs> talking about Charles Barkley and his impact. Mm -hmm. But I also want to kind of talk about Charles Barkley when we regards to the media. We mm -hmm. see Kevin Durant come on to the Phoenix Suns and instantly, you know, Charles Barkley starts barking and saying that, you know, yeah, <laughs> he like this is a a championship or bust situation with the Phoenix Suns and things of that nature. You know, Kevin Durant's a bus, not a bus driver and things of that mm -hmm. nature. I want you to, I want you to kind of like put into perspective, is he right? Or do you feel like he's being a little hard, especially if you, you consider the fact that Charles Barkley doesn't have a ring on his own. Yeah. I, I love Chuck, the player, Chuck, the analyst can be a little hit or miss. And, and I think, <laughs> I think this is one of his misses. Like for yeah. whatever reason, I, I mean, I know for a fact he hated the fact that Durant went to that loaded Warriors core um, and won two titles there. I think it came from a place of wanting to see him get over the hump on his own. Um, but look, man, you watch what he did with the Warriors. He was the bus driver. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Like, Steph is an all-time great. They're 1A and 1B. But, like, KD yeah. won both those finals MVPs because he was absurd in those series. Like, no one can say he didn't earn it or that he cheated his way around it. Like the NBA is all about engineering these team ups now because everybody gravitates toward rings culture. Like mm -hmm. what are they supposed to do? So no. I, I think that winning a title here would obviously mean more for his legacy, but his legacy is already stamped as it is. Like he's got everything that you could possibly want in a career. 
Um, and I think Chuck is already laying the groundwork because he's he's a little nervous because if KD comes to his city and does what he couldn't do in Phoenix, first, like, well, first championship ever in Phoenix franchise history. I mean, that yep. would be impressive. And like you said, Kevin Durant when he went to the the Golden State Warriors, he was the best player on the Golden State Warriors. I know people want to talk about stuff and his gravity and things of that nature, but mm -hmm. Kevin Durant was Kevin Durant. I feel like people need to stop talking about like, oh, he went to the Warriors, yeah, and it's a whole <laughs> lot of situations and. And we could talk about, <laughs> about players joining on this team and that team as well. Um, but, Gerald, I want to thank you so much. You're the first ever guest on the Hoop Ties <laughs> yeah. um, podcast presented by Slam. So I really, really appreciate you. Um, any more, anything you want to say for about Suns or anything, you know, to the audience? Yeah, no. Yours? Thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be the first guest. And hopefully uh, many, many short more shows to come. I can come back on at some point in time. But... Um, if you are interested, anyone listening and following our stuff, um, I write articles three to four a week over at gophnx.com. And then we have a podcast, Daily Suns podcast. We go five times a week. Um, so you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, Gerald, once again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. So this year in the NBA, when we talk about parody we talk about what's going on for us like the western conference and the eastern conference all these teams have been great but when we talk about the all nba teams especially from the guard position i believe it's very very stacked and it's going to be very very difficult compared to previous seasons like when we talk about forest locks for the all nba team only for guards guards only not bigs for guards i see Stephen Curry, for obvious reasons, also I see Luka Doncic. And then we got four other slots. And we got guys that are very, very deserving to be a part of those four other slots. Now we got Darian Fox. Kings are having a phenomenal year. He's kind of showed that, yo, the Sacramento Kings made the, the right choice of trading Tyrese Halliburg and keeping him and pairing him with Sabonis. They've been a lethal duel, especially when we talk about the pick and roll game and things of that nature. He can be an all-NBA selection this year. Then we talk about SGA, a player who is averaging 31 points, 5-5 five and five this year, shooting about, what, 51% from the field. This is a player who I always talk about, Com Hooper, plays at his own pace, gets to his own spots, a master when we talk about the fundamentals, when we talk about pump fakes, the hezzies, the drawing fouls, the up and unders. He's a phenomenal player. Nobody thought the Oklahoma City Thunder were going to be a playoff, you know, caliber team. Everybody thought they were going to tank. It's largely because of SGA taking that, that leap. He can be an all-NBA selection. And then we talk about Dame. Dame, Dame Tom himself. We talk about a guy who's already a rare breed, a four-level scorer, a guy to me that I feel like is the greatest long-distance shooter this league has ever seen. We know what's going on with the Portland Trailblazers right now. They're kind of in this weird, like, oh, we got Dame, but we really want to rebuild. From a talent and skill set perspective, Dame should be a member on the all-NBA team. But you're going to have some people that's going to say, like, well, from a team situation, he does not deserve to be over a De'Aaron Fox. He does not deserve to be over a SGA. So he can make the all-NBA team. Then we look at Donovan Mitchell, a guy who started the all-star game in the Eastern Conference this year. Donovan Mitchell is a phenomenal player. He can score a variety of ways. He, we know what he's doing with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then we have another guy that people aren't talking about that wasn't selected at the All-Star game, Devin Booker, a guy that's been playing phenomenal with Kevin Durant 
has been out, but he's also been playing phenomenal before Kevin Durant even got to Phoenix. And we know Kevin Durant is, you know, hurt right now, but still. Devin Booker, to me, the best shooting guard in the league. He was all NBA selection last year, and he went to the All-Star game. And this year, he's not, he may not be either, but this is a player that I feel like he has a chance to be on the All-NBA team. So we have so many guys this year that can be on the All-NBA team for the guard position, other than Luka and other than Stephen Curry. But it's just like, it's a toss-up because even though this is an individual um, award, it's kind of like it factors so many different things, talent, skill set, also how's your team doing? So a lot of these guys, I'm going to continue going. James Harden, a guy where he was not selected on the all-star team this year, a guy that's been putting up basically 22 and 11 this season with the Philadelphia Sixers. His three-point shot is back. His first step is is way better than it was last year. He's been phenomenal. He's been the kind of perfect partner in crime for Joe Embiid, getting Joe Embiid in the pick and roll action, getting Joe Embiid to his spots, setting up, facilitating also just like his presence alone and his gravity on the basketball court makes the game easier for others like a Tyrese Maxey. So we have uh, so many guys, Jalen Brown. <laughs> this is a guy who's basically, if he doesn't reach the all NBA team, he may look to kind of go somewhere in the, on free agent the following year because he's in the last year's contract after the season. So it's just like, if he doesn't make the all NBA team, that's $10 million that he's probably not going to be able to get um, for, you know, a next contract. So he's probably going to want to go and try to seek a big time max contract with somewhere else. So the all NBA teams for guards this year is very, very important. And then another player that I forgot to mention, and how could I not for mention, how could I forget this player? John Morant, John Morant, I'm sorry. John Morant, He's been suspended for eight games and this and that nature. He made a mistake. But to sit up and say that it's six guards this particular regular season that's better than him, I do not think so. John Moran, we know what he's about. We know his athleticism is, you know, something we haven't seen since really like a prime <laughs> Derrick Rose and a prime Russell Westbrook. Like, he's that phenomenal. We know the Memphis Grizzlies are good without him, but with him, they're great. He's another player that probably should be on the all-NBA team uh, this year as well. So we have so many guards, other than Luke and other than Curry, that could have an opportunity or should have the opportunity or should feel like they should be selected on the all-NBA team this year, then it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens with these players. If I was picking, I'm picking SGA. I'm picking... Luca, I'm picking Stephen Curry. That's three. I'm picking Dame. I'm picking John Morant. And I'm probably picking De'Aaron Fox to be for my all-NBA selection for the guards, for team one, team two, and team three. 